1: Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about a public space downtown causing some heated debates, Commissioner Carmen Rubio's never-ending bag of money saving the Portland Street response for now, and some skeptical county commissioners not fully on board with the governor's 90-day emergency fentanyl declaration. Joining me on this Friday's News Roundup are Portland Mercury News reporter, Taylor Griggs, and our very own executive producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, February 9th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is What Portland's Talking About. Well, welcome everyone to the Friday News Roundup. Taylor, John, thanks for being here. Hello, hello. Hello, thank you. Taylor, it's been a little bit since we had you
2: on the show. I know, I'm glad to be back. Thank you for inviting me again.
1: (laughs) I just feel like we practiced that interaction for weeks and then we blew it. So today (laughs) is the day. Oh God, <laughs> you're a
0: roaring start. Is that really what it feels like? <laughs> oh like,
1: no. Sorry. Today is a day we break down some of the biggest local stories of the week with some of the best and brightest journalists in town. But before we jump into the news, I like to ask all our guests an opening question, just so everyone listening at home knows who's in the room, what they're getting into. So my opening question today, I'm sure you've noticed that we're in the thick of winter, And we sporadically are getting like just little bits of sun here and there. And it made me wonder like what you guys do once the sun comes. Like what is the first thing that you do that it makes you feel like, yes, winter is done.
0: Oh, that's easy for me. I feel like I used to say this on the show all the time, and I haven't in a couple months for obvious reasons. But like, as soon as the sun comes, I'm headed out to Kelly Point Park. Just going to the beach and hanging out, going for a dip in the river when it is way too cold and immediately regretting it. <laughs> and then getting back on the beach to dry out in the sun. Yeah.
1: yeah, but at least you beat the mosquitoes. I feel like the mosquitoes don't come till like mid-summer.
0: That's true.
2: What about you, Taylor? Well, I don't wear two layers of pants (laughs) underneath my other pants (laughs) that i feel free in i know i sound like such a contrarian i also enjoy the the nice weather and biking around but it's um i know that it's spring is here when i don't have to wear a base layer underneath all my clothes (laughs) what about you
1: um you know i do like two things possibly one i immediately want to go to the coast I don't know why. I'm just like, now I want to see the ocean with the sun, you know? And I try to get into a hike that has a beautiful view because I want to see it all. That's like my first instinct. But usually it's hard for me to get to the coast because I don't really own a car. (laughs) So it's a lot of like, so I end up just like going on like a bike ride or I get on my kayak. And I just, that's like the big thing is like being outside with the Mm -hmm. most exposure to the sun. And those are the two activities.
0: I love that both of our, our picks involve getting in the water when it is like still too cold to reasonably be in the water. <laughs>
2: I will say I'm very vitamin D deprived. So that could be, I mean, once I get it, I think my my attitude will will shift. I'll be a little bit more optimistic.
1: You got to take them pills. We all I do. Know. The Northwest mm. is, is perpetually deprived of vitamin D. Anyone listening, if you're not taking vitamin D, you, you need to be taking your vitamin D.
2: You really should.
1: Well, thanks you guys. On to the news of the week. Taylor, you're bringing us one of your stories uh, reporting on the fight over a downtown public space.
2: Yeah, this was really interesting to me. Um, I've kind of been covering O'Brien Square saga for a while. But last year, when the city announced that um, they'd be demolishing the parking structure underneath the square and making it habitable for a kind of interim park, There was a lot of excitement from many different kinds of people, the process of deciding kind of what would be in this park. So I think that was something that was interesting to people. And there were the Portland Parks Foundation hosted a bunch of workshops and kind of had some seminars from people locally and and otherwise. And it was interesting and they got a lot of um, input. And then they announced the new design and it was, according to people who had participated in this process, not really what anyone had had wanted.
1: Yeah, yeah. Didn't they rebrand it to the Darcel 15 Plaza, which is pretty cool? Mm-hmm. Like, I was really excited for that
2: theme downtown, you know? Like, a bit of color, a bit of history. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and then that was this summer. And I thought that was a really good good thing, too. The, O'Brien was some mayor and, like, the... 19th century, who only was in office for one year before he like messed up and was kicked out. So, so why would they give him the part? No,
0: Darcel, that's for sure. Yeah,
2: yeah, Darcel is is much better. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I mean, I love the idea of honoring Darcel with this because it's interesting to think about like the two downtowns that exist simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have this one downtown that is just sort of like money and like luxury hotels and like this park is right by the Ritz Carlton, you know so sort of this playground for wealthy people and then i feel like Darcell kind of represents this other side of downtown you know this classic sense of portland of like weirdos and like you know all sorts of inclusion of different people and I, and i feel like the city knew what they were doing when they decided to name it after Darcell yeah. sort of trying to evoke that but like maybe not actually nailing it in the design that they are choosing right
2: yeah, definitely. And and there are some elements of it that I think... So it's colorful. They have a little chandelier.
1: The chandelier is perfect.
2: Yeah, which <laughs> I don't... I, can
1: I tell you quickly why? Please. So I interviewed Darcelle for like some BBC thing. This is a, a while ago. And so I, I went to her house. Every room has a chandelier, wow. sometimes even hallways. And that was a thing that she wanted. And it was kind of awesome. You're like, why does the kitchen have a chandelier?
2: <laughs> that's amazing
1: okay I did, so yeah cool. that's perfect that's so, so that cool. to me that was the only thing true to that I personally saw in the plans
2: well I've never seen a chandelier in a in a park before I think I yeah. don't know exactly how they how they'd set it up but it it's a cool idea I think it would be very alluring yeah there are three things people are arguing about so one is the dog park that's in the plaza and it kind of takes up this corner that's well, it would be outward facing to the street if not for the second thing people are fighting about, which is the fence around the entire plaza, um, which it would make Darcel Plaza the first fenced-in kind of public park in Portland. The third thing is the lack of of food carts, which a lot of people wanted.
1: Yeah, I heard the the big concerns were that a lot of people didn't think that the design was influenced for the benefit of. Of the public,
2: yeah.
0: I mean, what I
1: heard is that they were thinking it was like Ritz Carlton. That a lot of downtown interest is what I what I read.
0: Totally, yeah. I mean, and, and when they developed the Ritz Carlton, wasn't there like a whole thing? Wasn't like part of the pitch that they were going to redevelop this plaza as something that is accessible to the community? You know, that it's like, oh yeah, we're we're demolishing this giant food cart pod that is iconic to build a luxury hotel, but like, right? Wait until you see what we do with O'Brien Square. You know, and like that involves putting like a six foot fence around it, you know, (laughs) just like. But
2: there's also evidence that people associated with the Ritz-Carlton specifically asked for no food carts, a fence and a dog park.
1: I just feel like it was designed for the Ritz-Carlton dogs to have a place to shit in.
2: Well, there's no other really residential building directly next to it, so exactly. yeah, it was.
1: That's what it. What I'm saying, and then they they put the fences so they wouldn't have to see the eyesore that is downtown right now. So to me, this isn't a public park; it's an extension of like a Ritz Carlton atrium or something. Like it's just yeah. like, oh, we, our people need a quote unquote green space, but like your story linked to all the designs being considered. And there are much, much better ones. Um, this one looks like a cement rectangle with some pink stuff and a chandelier, which again, love the chandelier, but like nothing makes sense.
0: Don't get us wrong. We're not saying anything bad about the chandelier. We are. We, we love are the chandelier. chandelier oh yeah, we program. all love it.
1: But <laughs> I especially like this one called the social infrastructure. It had room for a continuation of the green loop and that's something that hasn't been really brought up up was that this space doesn't connect to other public spaces and that was the whole point like our policies are trying to make downtown actually more walkable and more bikeable um because right now it's just like very city block heavy and so this Mm plan doesn't move forward our transportation or you know our walkability goals especially with that fence blocking off everything like it lacks vision it's not going to bring any boys or girls to the yard (laughs) Like, what it does is, is <laughs> milkshakes and burgers and food carts and actual green spaces. God, I I like, I don't even see public bathrooms there, as, as, aside from the dogs. You know what I mean? Like, what yeah. point is that space for then? I, I feel like Darcel would just be like, what? Yeah. You know, they even have a stage that I'm like, they're never going to program shit on that stage. Like, yeah. come on, girl.
0: Yeah. Come
1: yeah. on, girl. That's Portland, by the way. Girl was Portland at that point.
2: Yeah, the,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I know it, it, does, it it's just kind of if it had a fence, it wouldn't be as part of the city's infrastructure the way that parks should be. And, you know, some of the cool thing about having food carts and just spaces where people can gather is that oftentimes they are kind of on the street. And that was how the old food cart pod was that kind of cr- turned the street into a new sort of environment.
1: Well, from your story, it seems like it's already set. Like, this is what's going. This is what's moving forward.
2: Yeah, that's what the leaders kind of say. I mean, people were very upset. The design commissioners really didn't like it. None of them. The person who led the project um, last year from the Portland Parks Foundation was also very strongly against it. Um, So I I guess it's possible that if there's enough public backlash, they might rethink it. But I think... They just don't think it's possible to have a park in that area without it being fenced in.
1: Well, public, we need backlash.
2: <laughs> You've
1: heard her, public.
2: You can still fill out this survey.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll link it to the show notes. We'll link the survey to the
2: show notes. February 19th. You still have a good amount of time.
1: Yeah. Well, all right. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for bringing us this story. I had a lot of fun reading through it. Um, but let's take a quick break here. And when we come back... More headlines of the week. Well, John, what headline are you talking through today?
0: I'm mostly pulling from reporting by Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh and his colleagues at The Oregonian talking about the Fire Bureau Portland Street response. So last week, the Fire Bureau said that they want to cut like $3 million out of the Portland Street Responses budget. That's like a third of their budget. I guess I shouldn't say that they are going to do it, but they floated it as a possibility. Um, And this is all coming because there's like an $11 million budget gap that the fire department is looking at. Um, Got some headlines, people are upset about this idea. Well, in swoops, Carmen Rubio, a city commissioner, and who is also a candidate for mayor, And she said that she would pay for this by tapping into the Clean Energy Fund money. This is something that she oversees and we can get into that a little bit more later on. Um, But it's this interesting back and forth over how to fund this program that a lot of people really like, uh, but that is sort of been in political crosshairs basically ever since it was created. Um, Yeah, what'd you guys think about this?
2: I was very interested in this because the Portland Clean Energy Fund is going to have a lot more money than they thought they were going to over the next five years, like about five, five hundred million dollars. And so they can fund programs like like PBOT, pretty much the whole bureau, which was going to have to lay off a ton of people and all this stuff because they had this huge budget deficit. Now they kind of don't struggle with that. And that was something that I think some of the people on the PCF commission who discuss kind of the policies of this fund um, were slightly hesitant about because I don't know that they think it's good practice to start backfilling existing programs with this new fund that's supposed to kind of be starting new cl- clean energy programs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's just so funny that... <laughs> one of these weird things that happens in portland we created this new tax uh and then we're like oh my gosh it's generating too much money what do we do with all this money that this thing is generating and rubio i feel like just had this like magical fortune of being the commissioner that was put in charge of this thing so she gets to sort of like scoot around town just like you know, offering these solutions that nobody else has access to because she's the yeah. one administering it, you know? Um, but
1: I wonder if any of them would have been able to do that though, John, like have been, had the forethought to be like, oh, here's a solution. Do you know? Like, I wonder, like, I, I get what you're saying. Cause I am also like, what a fortunate place to have just a pile of money. But do you think anybody else would have been able to maneuver that?
0: I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I just don't think anybody else has the opportunity, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, it's it's sort of like, I don't know the the specifics of like how you get the money from this fund into like city bureaus. And and it sounds like there is some skepticism about whether that can actually be done or not, right? Like this money hasn't been transferred. Uh Rubio's just on the record of saying that that she would like yeah. to see it happen.
2: They're still kind of in the process of making this decision. There's this multi member commission of people who've been discussing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um and they have meetings pretty regularly. I'm not sure when the decision is going to be made. But yeah, I mean, back when Commissioner of the Transportation Bureau, I Mingus mean, Maps, were talking about how they needed funding, this was in September, I think, um, they kind of assumed that they would be able to use PCF money, even though they yeah. didn't know that there was going to be this additional influx. They were like, well, we," they sort of were we're going to fall back on it and making this suggestion. Right.
1: Well, I did read that um, the planning and sustainability director, uh, Donnie Oliveira, I'm not not sure if I'm saying that name right, but they were quoted as saying each of the proposed projects have met requirements established by the fund to cut carbon emissions. Um, So it's not like they're forcing or jamming you know, a square peg into a round hole. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, like you said, it's not for new projects. It's essentially to just build the infrastructure or to hold the line for the infrastructure so more things could be built on top. And I feel like, yeah, that's what needs to happen. We can't just like be top heavy. We need to have roads that work. So I I know it was last December when Commissioner Rubio made that announcement that she was going to be funneling millions from, you know, the clean energy program directly into more climate-friendly efforts managed across six city bureaus. And so she called out PBOT, uh, Bureau of Environmental Services, the Housing Bureau, Office of Management and Finance, which I still don't know what that, what they do, yeah. the Water <laughs> Bureau, and of course, Parks and Rec. So all these, all these needy, needy bureaus. Then mm-hmm. they're just literally just trying to do their job. But what I really admire is how Commissioner Rubio is politicking like she's kind of like a ninja like she doesn't make waves she rarely makes the news and I mean that in a super good way except when she seems to be bailing out all of her colleagues and finding like really clever and simple solutions to issues that everyone else just seems to butt heads about but I completely agree with you John where you're just like how fortunate. To be in that yeah. position.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and like, let's like connect the dots. Like, okay, we're talking about Peabot. Like, who who is it that's in charge of Peabot? Mingus Maps, which is going to be someone she's running against in the race for mayor. Uh, we've been talking about the Portland Street response in the fire department. Who's in charge of that? Oh yeah, Renee Gonzalez, who is a person that she is going to be running against mm-hmm. for mayor in the fall.
1: It's really smart. Um, I also, I mean, it's not like she was like, oh, I'll be in charge of this bureau. Like the bureaus are handed out by the mayor, right? So she, it was the luck of the draw that she got this bureau. But um, I feel like, yeah, she's really playing it well. I In Mexico, we have this saying for people that kind of do this when they're like, you know, resourceful and um, kind of quiet and resilient. And it's like a curse word But it means a lot of things. And so we would say that out of everyone, she's la mas cabrona, which means like she's like the the baddest, the baddest MFR. You know what I mean?
2: (laughs) I mean, it's only three million dollars out of their really big fund. But I will say it doesn't there's it concerns me that the Portland Street response is not supported enough by the current commissioners that it keeps having to rely, it seems like, on these stopgap kind of band-aids where it's we need a more sustainable form of funding for them to really show that the city's committed to maintaining it. It's always something that's willing to be
0: cut, even though it's very popular and works well. Yeah, I mean, and I, I feel like it's it's easy to like look fondly upon this because I think that we all believe in Portland Street response and mm-hmm. think it's really important and like think it should be funded. But I can also imagine another situation where you know this is all going to get sort of jumbled up once we go away from the bureau management system but like whoever is in charge of the portland clean energy fund just sort of having the king making ability to sprinkle money wherever they want mm-hmm. like somebody with a different ideology that could be like a really gnarly thing you know that could turn into an opportunity for graft that could turn into an opportunity for funding stuff that we don't believe in as a society like I I don't know that I'm totally comfortable with the precedent of one person like having this endless pot of money just to sprinkle around Portland. It's a slippery slope, I think.
1: But we need money, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, they do have this checks
2: and balances. <laughs> and
1: and it is our money that we're giving. And it's supposedly, yeah, like Taylor said, there's some checks and balances, but I, I completely agree with you. Like, it's like, good thing we like what <laughs> Commissioner Rubio has chosen to spend the money on. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, going back to the Portland Street response, which is why, you know, this whole thing came up. Um, Commissioner René Gonzalez has yet to offer a real plan of of his own on how to best continue um the program and make it sustainable. If well, he doesn't like it. Exactly. Well, I mean, could we say that? I mean, allegedly, it's well documented that he doesn't seem to be supporting this. But like it's hard for me to say that just because he's not made the announcement. This is all hearsay. And
0: I, I, I think it's safe to say he's not giving like full throated support exactly of, of response. Yeah. So he told the Oregonian recently that he said that like This idea of cutting the money is hypothetical, but and this is a direct quote. We do have to address the structural deficit within the Bureau. The problem with fire is that there's not a lot of fat to cut outside of its core mission. So, like, the implication there is that the Portland Street Response Program is outside of the core mission of the Fire Bureau.
1: Which is, mm, (laughs) sorry. I mean, maybe they shouldn't be housed
0: there. I mean, yeah.
1: (laughs) No one should be where they shouldn't, when they're not wanted.
0: You yeah. know, Yeah, I mean, and like, you know, most of the, the calls that the Portland Street response responds to uh, would traditionally be handled by the police, according yeah. to like a Portland State University study. I'm not saying that it would be better for the Portland Street response to be a part of the police department like that obviously creates its own problems. But
2: they don't ha- come up with a fire truck putting out fires, literally. So, yeah,
0: yeah it, it is kind of odd. I think. Yeah,
2: I know. I agreed. And I
1: feel like a better leader, a more... Like someone with an actual strong vision, not only in the police bureau, but like in our city leadership structure would see that as an opportunity to rehaul the police department and their priorities. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, we're bringing over the Portland Street response from here moving forward. This is how we're going to redistribute how calls are done. Yeah. You know, rather than like, hey, let's send a guy with a gun every gosh darn time for absolutely no reason. You know, mm-hmm. give them training for a certain set of skills and then get really upset when they when they do that. Yeah. And this is a perfect opportunity to like re-examine that.
0: I agree that like part of it is just creating this entirely new department and then sort of figuring out where to sort of weld it on to the existing city structure uh, mm-hmm. is like that's not an easy thing to do. However, you cut it.
1: Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks for breaking that down for us.
0: Yeah. No problem.
1: Well, my story this week is how two Multnomah County Commissioners have publicly shared their skepticism towards Governor Tina Kotek's 90-day fentanyl emergency declaration. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is calling it a baloney resolution. And shout out to Kevin Foster at Portland Mercury who wrote the article. So if you tuned in to last week's Friday Roundup, you might remember I kind of broke down that, you know, what this 90-day fentanyl emergency declaration entailed. And it was easy because there wasn't much, um, mainly funds, more hands on deck and way more focused attention and and hopefully a lot of collaboration between state, county and city governments. Unfortunately, two things uh, it didn't seem to include were clear goals or a definite end date. And I was optimistic that the state, city and county would figure that out in the process uh, because, you know, declaring an emergency means that they're meeting every single day at a command center uh figuring stuff out. <laughs> and John, I know you had a lot of skepticism. Uh well, now this week
0: you just made the command center sound really cool though. You I might know. be it to be back over. It's probably just the Darcel 15 Wait, an me. underground command center? That's even better. As long as there's a
2: chandelier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, I hope a chandelier at this command center. <laughs> now this week, the initial conversation that the county commissioner had when voting for this declaration, this, you know, 90-day federal emergency declaration was shared. And uh, Multnomah County Commissioners Sharon Miran and Julia Brim Edwards seem to have super valid points. And before I jump into what was said, I just want to point out that, um and this is important, I think, Multnomah County Commissioner Sharon Miran has been very vocal in the past of our current Multnomah County Chair, Jessica Vega-Peterson's leadership. And you might remember that they ran against each other for that county chair. And Vega-Peterson, you know, captured nearly 42% of that vote and mirroring only 18. And I'm not saying this to invalidate any of, you know, County Commissioner Sharon Mirren's criticisms. I just think it's really important context if you don't know. (laughs) So bringing this back to the 90 day fentanyl emergency declaration, uh, the county was specifically tasked with launching a public education campaign targeted at prevention and treatment resources while also issuing reports uh, on Overdose data. So the vague general goal is to make an impact on the crisis within 90 days and also provide a roadmap for further sustain and further action. That I'm reading this kind of verbatim because that's what was said in the meeting. Like, hey guys, this is what we're doing. This is what we're voting on. So when this was all presented to the county board, Commissioner Sharon Miran was quoted as saying, it's hard to formulate questions because in my view, this resolution says nothing and does nothing. And I just want to further quote what she said at that meeting because it It was pretty good. So Commissioner Mirren also said, I had no idea until I actually read this resolution that it would be crafted to literally be the least we can do. This resolution, I'm sorry, it is pathetic. (laughs) It is a contrivance and feeble attempt to govern (sighs) by press release. It will solve nothing and it will do nothing but allow the chair... To check a box saying she's declared a state of emergency in Multnomah County for all the people who called for it after volunteering. And it demonstrates the depth of the county's seeming allergic reaction to accountability or measurable results. Oh, damn! (laughs) Governing by press releases is a great line, I think. But she could have also been like. Uh, w- there's just, there's some issues
2: here. Let's talk about it. Yeah, no, she kind of was savage. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah a- award for most operatic political speech of uh, <laughs> early contender of the year. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was good, right? Yeah. And the response from the rest of the county commissioners who were in support were similar to my points last week, John, which is like, well, we're going to figure it out as we go along. Um, we just need to get on board because like the city and the state are kind of looking at us now to mm-hmm. like work with them. Um But then County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson was quoted as saying, the goal is to have a visible improvement uh, in fentanyl consumption in the Portland Central City and improved access to treatment. So, again, the key statement, visible improvement, meaning optics, meaning less eyesores in the city. And that was my big concern last week. I remember we're just like, what does visible improvement mean? Because that was getting thrown around a lot. And that's when another county commissioner tagged herself in. And that was uh, County Commissioner Julia Brim Edwards. She pretty much flagged that and was like, hey, reducing visual consumption of fentanyl in the city could just mean that we're going to move it to other parts. Like my districts, like it's like when you sloppily clean a room, you know, in your house and you're just Mm -hmm. dumping all the stuff in another room, but the stuff is all there. Like it's still there. And so she just brought this up. I mean, all valid points. What do y'all think?
0: I sort of agree with some of those questions. Like, what are we actually trying to do? Like, what is going to be done at the end of 90 days?
1: I just feel like in work meetings, you all, I think that you always need a commissioner, Mirren. You know, even if it's annoying, and here's the deal, she didn't just like write a beautiful flowery uh, retort, but she also proposed an amendment to the resolution she called for like a 12 month action plan to address the crisis. She basically like was like, "Hey, here are, we should create dashboards to track progress, you know, um and she based on 14 different data points like she was totally just like boop boop beep, boop, beep, you know. But yeah. everybody was like, "Girl, th- you were say we have 45 minutes to vote on this and you, you just we don't have time to read through your amendment."
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that the, the bigger picture of trying to fix all these things is a good idea and something that we need to work on. But, um, yeah, a 12-month plan. A 12-month plan seems a lot more sustainable, a lot more reasonable, and something that could actually lead to change. I just don't know what anyone can do to address our fentanyl crisis in 90 days if we're going into it without a plan at the beginning.
2: Totally. I just... I don't know how, yeah, how they expect it it to work. And I appreciate also um, Brim Edwards saying, calling out the visibility aspect of it. Um, I think that's that's important because it shows, you know, do we really want to help people or is it kind of more for the optics of, yeah, of of downtown?
1: So Commissioner Julia Brim Edwards was the only one that high-fived this amendment. Everybody else basically told her to quiet down. And I mean that quite literally. Like somebody actually told her to please control yourself. When she was trying to explain, and we're talking about Commissioner Mirren, Uh, I think it was Commissioner Stegman was reported as saying, to please control yourself. <laughs> Which is, Ouch. I mean, to me, it just explained why the county has been having issues spending their funding and why they seem to be kind of to an island of themselves. Like they have a dysfunctional work team. They need to go on a retreat and do trust falls. <laughs> so, I happened. mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Like I'm joking, but I'm like they something like that's not. Good. But yeah, so uh, again, the chair, Vega Peterson, defended the county's work touting urgency and partnership. Basically, like, hey, man, we're just like we're just trying to like get along here with everybody else. We're going to do this, you know, so we're going to see what happens. I feel like knowing that all the county commissioners are not fully on board is kind of a bummer. But I do hope that the ones who are kind of saying things that are very valid, like we all said, they don't just like throw their ball down and go home. Does that mean? You know, like, they're not mm-hmm. just like, uh, like, I hope they stay active within the process because like, we're going to need that to continue figuring out, you know, like, hey, what are the goals here? Mm-hmm. I
2: think they just disagree so strongly on maybe what the plan would be, that it's daunting to think of that conversation, figuring it out, because I, I, I feel like that many people have different kind of ideas about, you know, how how harsh criminal penalties should be um, I just can't imagine it being a smooth process. Yeah, as you said, they just don't seem to agree on on anything. So mm-hmm. I don't know what they would come up with.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, I feel like April's going to come up real quick. Uh, so we will get to the end of this ninety day fentanyl emergency a lot sooner than than it feels like at this moment.
1: Yeah, I just hope they stop fighting each other and make it about the work. You know, because even though valid points ahead, I'm just speaking specifically about Commissioner Mirren, It felt personal.
0: I don't know. My, my speculation is maybe it was so forceful because it felt like uh, an attempt that wasn't going to work. You know, you know when oh. you like know that somebody isn't going to listen to your point, so you just like go over the top you with it hard. to like make sure that people hear it. <laughs> that that was sort of my read on on oh the God. politics of this. But again, who knows? Was
1: it like just a dunk post? A buzzer, like she's like, look, it's this point isn't going to count, but here we go. <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, well, reporters appreciate it because it makes for interesting <laughs> yeah, stories. Mean, so. hey. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If
0: you're trying to get, if you're trying to get press coverage, you're welcome.
2: <laughs> well, you
1: know, I just hope that um, Rubio kicks them some money for some teamwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, (laughs) retreat for the county. I know it's the city, but I'm sure Rubio will figure it out. And maybe what they possibly need is just like a chandelier, just one chandelier in their county headquarters. That's so nice to tie
2: everything together.
0: In the command center at the very least.
1: When you get stressed, you look at it, you see the little sparkles, and you know it's going to be okay.
0: It's a good slogan, the city that sparkles. There we go.
1: The city that sparkles. Not necessarily works, but God dang, (laughs) we're charming. Um, (laughs) Well, guys, thanks so much for hanging out with me and breaking down some of the headlines of the week. Uh, Taylor, always a blast to have you on. And uh, John, I'll see you in a minute.
0: Yeah, thanks, Claudia. Thank
1: you very much. (laughs) That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. Our executive producer is John Atariani Our producers this week were Julia Fioglione and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editors were Rachel Monaghan and Adrian Gonzalez. Our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slims.